a poem by Kabir. I said to the wanting creature inside me, what is this river you want to cross? There are no travelers on the riverbed and no bed. Do you see anyone moving about on that bank or resting? There is no river at all and no boat and no boatman. There is no tow rope either and no one to pull it. There is no ground, no sky, no bank, no ford. And there is no body and no mind. Do you believe there is some place that will make the soul less thirsty? In that great absence you will find nothing. Be strong, then, and enter into your own body. There you have a solid place for your feet. Think about it carefully. Don't go off somewhere else. Kabir says this, Just throw away all thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm in that which you are. For well over a decade now, there's been talk about a new spirituality that's taking hold in this country. In these confusing and rather chaotic times, people are sensing within themselves a desire to cultivate a more spiritual viewpoint in an effort to make sense of things. People everywhere are saying that they want more spirituality in their churches, in their lives, though defining what that means has been a slippery business. For some, it seems to be related to something found in one's innermost being and largely a solitary affair. For some, it seems to be related to a vague sense of peace when in nature, again, a more solitary expression than something experienced in community. And for some, it's a longing for something deeply relational and found in community. Historian David David Robinson offers one of the better explanations that I've seen for what I think folks may be talking about. And I quote, a feeling or hunger for a deeper inner life and a more profound experience of the world that we share. Well, I think that we Unitarian Universalists have something significant to offer these days and ought to be seizing the moment. As you may have heard, an extensive survey was just published by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life exploring the huge shifts taking place in the American religious landscape. The survey found that religious affiliation is both diverse and fluid, with some 28% of adults having left either the religion of their childhood for another religion or for none at all. The survey found that the number of people who say they are unaffiliated with any particular faith today, a little over 16%, is more than double the number who say they were not affiliated with any particular religion as children. Among Americans ages 18 to 29, one in four say they are not currently affiliated with any particular religion. And yet, 
and yet a significant proportion of those still have that spiritual hunger. And I wonder if a new transcendentalism might have some appeal. We talk a lot about our UU7 principles. The sources of our faith get considerably less airtime. But one of the carefully worded sources of our living tradition, indeed the very first one, is direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces that create and uphold life. This proclaimed hunger for the spiritual seems to me quite similar to the hunger that transcendentalists like Ralph Waldo Emerson, a Unitarian minister as well as being a writer and lecturer for which he is better known, were trying to address in the mid-19th century. Now Emerson used a variety of names for this transcending mystery and wonder. Sometimes he called it God. At other times, he used phrases like one mind, the infinite absolute, infinite being, universal spirit, the highest law, the ground of being, dread universal essence, Eternal consciousness, the one I love, vast flowing vigor, vast flowing vigor, and the great oversoul. This mystery, he suggested, can be known through our personal experience. God, he said, is clothed in the flowing robe of events. Now, all of this is a far cry from the more traditional and prevailing view of God as a personal being typically living in heaven and pictured as a white man in a bed of clouds. One of the great gifts of the transcendentalists and our Unitarian and Universalist traditions, I believe, are these broad, expansive, and inclusive images of the divine. I like to think that our faith tradition has, in a way, liberated God from the too small imaginal box in which the traditional Abrahamic religions have placed God. And so I want to suggest this morning that it is time to forge and promote a new transcendentalism because it offers the possibility of finding a theological language that has the potential to be unitive rather than divisive. It has, I would dare to say, the potential to transform and heal our society's scarred religious landscape. In preparing for this morning, I decided to go back and uh, read Emerson's 1842 essay titled The Transcendentalist. So here are the key themes that I would note from that essay. 
First, the locus of religious authority lies in the individual and in the spirit that has been given to all people universally. Second, education, development, and self-consciousness are major part of the purpose of life. Third, all life is sacred. Fourth, all nature serves as a sanctuary. And fifth, all work is a sacrament. These are themes, I suggest again, that are more unitive than divisive. It seems to me that these themes can appeal equally to mystics, to humanists, theists, pagans, naturalists, rationalists, agnostics, and indeed even those who identify as atheists. These days, humanists are just as likely as mystics to acknowledge that deep mystery at the core of existence looking for meaningful and intellectual ways to express or name it. One humanist shared that for him the laws of nature are a kind of God for him. Here are the parallels. The laws of nature are infinite. They are all-powerful, omnipotent. They create, sustain, and destroy us, They are all-knowing, omniscient, in the sense that they explain the why and wherefore of things. And they are present everywhere simultaneously, omnipresent. Those words that I added at the end are, of course, the traditional descriptive terms for God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. To illustrate, I want to mention an early episode of a TV show called Joan of Arcadia, which had rather a short lifespan and is no longer on the air. But it focused on the story of a 16-year-old girl who kept meeting someone who claims to be God and shows up in a variety of human guises. What I loved in the first episode was Joan's conversation with her Uh, rather brainy younger brother. She's uh, already met this guy walking around, and so she asks him whether he thinks God could just be walking around in the world. And he replies, it's not empirically inconsistent, you know, because everything is energy, and energy can manifest itself in any form. That's new transcendentalism speaking. For Emerson and the transcendentalists, reason was considered the highest faculty of the soul. But reason was understood in a way rather different to its common understanding these days. By reason, transcendentalists understood something more akin to the Quaker concept of inner light. Reason for Emerson was more a process of intuitive grasping of the moments of direct perception that he believed led to the most reliable and trustworthy knowledge. Reason was probably more akin to what we would call today wisdom. In Emerson's words, then, 
wisdom comes more from the heart than the head. And that seems to me to gel with what I hear religiously liberal people especially asking for these days, a religion that can speak to the heart and spirit as well as the head. The intellect is still a vital part of what we bring to our religious journeys, but we also bring a hungry spirit. I think that our UUA president, Bill Sinkford, his call to us to reclaim a language of reverence grows out of listening to members of our churches expressing this hunger. As most of us have heard, charismatic churches are growing in numbers these days all over the globe. Now, there are some similarities between the charismatic religion and the revivalism that was on the rise during the mid-19th century, a revivalism characterized by an emotional religious experience of utter surrender to the Holy Spirit. Historian David Robinson suggests that transcendentalism was a response to revivalism, attempting, and I quote, to translate the spiritual abandonment that marked revivalist religion into a sense of the holiness of the ordinary. They, the transcendentalists, hoped to charge daily experience with the shock of divinity. All life should be, quote, naturally and without effort an act of worship at every moment. So I suggest that a new transcendentalism might offer a non-dogmatic way to bring more passion and meaning into our everyday lives. Transcendentalism was a literary, philosophical, and religious movement, as well as being a social and political movement. As a religious movement, it taught that, quote, the religious spirit is a necessary aspect of human nature, and that the religious spirit does not reside in external forms, words, ceremonies, or institutions. Spiritual growth was actually the highest goal for the transcendentalists. As a philosophical movement, it stressed the importance of intellectual freedom, As a literary movement, it taught that self-expression is an essential part of human nature. And it offered a strong social imperative with two fundamental parts. First, it proclaimed that the well-being of the individual and of all individuals is the purpose of all social organizations. And second, it argued that no one can be autonomous and exist totally apart from others. For the transcendentalists, then, association is as important a word as self. We don't usually associate that last imperative with Emerson, generally regarding him as a loner who eschewed involvement with church and other institutions, But in fact, Emerson was deeply committed to his local community, serving at various times on the school committee, the cemetery committee, the library committee, and the lyceum committee. He wrote letters, he signed petitions, he spoke at meetings, and he debated issues of the day with his friends. And so, a new transcendentalism will continue to value intellectual freedom 
and urge people to develop an ever-deepening mind-body-spirit wisdom based on an embodied relationship with the divine. It will encourage and support each individual's search for meaningful religious expression and engagement with that which is holy and sacred to the individual. Like the 19th century transcendentalism, which got its name from its belief that the nature of God can be known intuitively by faculties that transcend the senses, the new transcendentalism will value intuition as highly as empiricism. A new transcendentalism will agree that association is as important a word as self, something I trust you are thinking about as you think about your pledges to the work of this fine congregation, and will support religious community as essential to the lived spiritual life. It will understand that spirituality is not a solitary thing and that it must be reflected in an ever-deepening connection with the way we live and move in our world. It will value solidarity over solitariness, and it will be a socially engaged faith. Emerson valued the study of all religions and advised Quote, make your own Bible. Select and collect all those words and sentences that in all your reading have been to you like the blast of a trumpet out of Shakespeare, Seneca, Moses, John, and Paul. Thus, a new transcendentalism would not limit itself to any one scripture as its full truth. Emerson himself coined the phrase continuous revelation, that has had so much meaning for me through so many years. I can think of many thinkers and writers who might offer inspiration as we forge a new transcendentalism. Emerson, Theodore Parker, and Margaret Fuller would of course be among them. But so would great mystics like Rumi and Kabir, naturalists like Wendell Berry and Thomas Berry and Gary Snyder, Writers like Annie Dillard and Robert Bly and Barbara Kingsolver and Rabindranath Tagore, and poets like Rilke and Mary Oliver. To get at what I'm talking about, I want to share one of Mary Oliver's poems. This one's called What Is There Beyond Knowing? What is there? beyond knowing that keeps calling to me. I can't turn in any direction, but it's there. I don't mean the leaves grip and shine or even the thrush's silk song, but the far-off fires, for example, of the stars, heaven's slowly turning theater of light, or the wind, playful with its breath. Or time that's always rushing forward or standing still in the same, what shall I say, moment. What I know I could put into a pack as if it were bread and cheese and carry it on one shoulder 
important and honorable, but so small. While everything else continues unexplained and unexplainable, how wonderful it is to follow a thought quietly to its logical end. I have done this a few times, but mostly I just stand in the dark field in the middle of the world, breathing in and out. Life so far doesn't have any other name but breath and light, wind and rain. If there's a temple, I haven't found it yet. I simply go on drifting in the heaven of the grass and the weeds. I believe that a new transcendentalism anchored in our own Unitarian Universalist tradition could well be a meaningful response to fundamentalism wherever it occurs. I would suggest that a new transcendentalism could actually bring about a sort of spiritual revolution, replacing the God above, beyond, separate, hierarchic, and distant with the divine within, imminent, intimate, pervasive, and experienced in our consciousness. A new transcendentalism might just be the thing to move us away from theological torpor into a new and radical openness and awakening of the heart. So please, just consider this possibility that our tradition, our Unitarian Universalism, really does have something transformative to offer our world. Amen.